So I'm really loving James. You guys loving James? Um, I've loved it for a long time, but even more now that Pastor Bill is teaching us from it, I had um, I had done a Bible study um, just this past summer um, by Beth Moore, and uh, there are lots of lots of good Bible studies on the Book of James. But I had done one by Beth Moore this past summer. Um, I recommend that you do. Um, any Bible studies on any books of the Bible, but she wrote a really good one on on the book of James, and I have learned a lot from uh, both Pastor Bill and Beth Moore about this. I did not know, and I don't know why I didn't know this, but I did not know that the book of James was written by Jesus' half-brother. And um, so learning that really gives you a lot of insight into this rich book that we are studying um, I love this quote from Beth Moore. (laughs) She makes you laugh. Younger siblings have accused their older brothers and sisters of playing God, but Jesus wasn't playing. (laughs) It's so interesting to me that James and his brothers did not recognize Jesus for who he is until after the resurrection. The whole time that they were living under the same roof they didn't recognize him for who he was. And then even after he left and began to teach um, among the communities, they didn't recognize him for who he was. They probably thought he was crazy. So let's look at a few things that Scripture tells us about the man himself, James, that will help us continue learning from this letter. 1 Corinthians fifteen four through 7 tells us about Jesus, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12 disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So it's inferred here that Jesus and James were alone at the time that Jesus appeared to his little brother. And we don't really know what happened at that time. We don't know what they talked about. We don't know what they did at that time. But we know one thing for sure. James became utterly convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. You remember Pastor Bill's sermon several weeks ago when he talked about James's death? We talked about how at the very end of his life they were trying to get James to deny Jesus and there was no way. There was no way he was going to deny his Lord. In fact, at the very end, he was proclaiming, why are you asking me who he is? And they, uh, this... Um, Church history book of martyrdom says that um, James was hurled from the temple pinnacle and clubbed to death for his audacity. So he was apparently thrown down from this height. And when he landed, he wasn't dead. And so somebody in mercy clubbed him to death. People don't die like that. 
unless they are absolutely convinced. James was convinced that Jesus was Messiah. And so after Jesus and James had their conversation after the resurrection, James became one of the teachers in Jerusalem along with Peter. Peter was a leader and James became a leader with him. And then you know the story of how Paul became converted. And uh, he came to Jerusalem and spent some time with Peter and James. He spent 15 days with Peter and James. And um, then you remember the, the message that Pastor Bill taught where Peter was sitting on the rooftop and he, um, he had a vision where that sheet came down and all the animals were in it. And, and the Lord convinced Peter not to call unclean what the Lord called clean. And so Peter began to minister to the Gentiles when he taught that lesson that he spoke to Cornelius and Cornelius' household. It's in Acts chapter 10. And so at that point, Peter left Jerusalem And he began to go out and minister to the Gentiles more. And Paul, of course, was ministering to the Gentiles. And so at that time, James, the guy that we're studying, he became the main leader of the the body of believers in Jerusalem. So James is the main head dude in Jerusalem among all of the... um, the Jewish believers at that time. And um, so as Paul and Peter begin to kind of loosen their Jewishness and they are, um, they're hanging out with Gentiles more. um, We, we find out, or I found out through this study that I did that James just kind of tightens his tie even tighter and he becomes more and more Jewish. He sticks to his Jewish roots and he, um, he, he observes um, those things that he grew up with. James grew up with the Messiah. This is the brother of Yeshua. This is Yeshua and Yaakov. Je- Jesus and Jacob, they grew up together learning the, uh, the Torah. Little, buddy, little brothers studying the Torah together, and now he knows who his brother is. And so we see in this book of James that he begins to echo both what he learned when he studied it, both what he learned from the law, and then what he learned from what his brother taught uh, in his teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. We see some of that in James chapter 2 today, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick up where Bill left up. I'm, I'm going to pick up in, in James chapter 2, and uh, we're going to jump right into it. Let's pray. Um, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would use me today as a conduit and that you, Holy Spirit, would flow through me and that you would use me to teach um, us things that you, God, want us to know. And that's all. I pray that nothing else would happen except for what you want to happen today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, we're going to start with. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So 
that's pretty clear there. There's not a whole lot to, to, to explain. I mean, he's basically saying, if you say to the rich guy, you're more special, I'm going to give you a special seat. Uh, and you say to the poor guy, ah, you know, we don't really care whether you sit anywhere or not. You can sit on the floor. You are doing the wrong thing. You're showing favoritism. This is prejudice, uh, and it's wrong. Now, we've got prejudice all over the place in our world right now. In fact, prejudice doesn't even have to be about the way you look. Your prejudice uh, doesn't even have to be about rich or poor. It can be um, about, uh, it, it can be as silly as the way somebody talks. I had to realize at some point that I, I look down on people sometimes if they don't use the right grammar. And that is sin, y'all. That is wrong for me to, to think better of somebody if they use the right grammar and less of somebody if they don't. I mean, that's ridiculous. I should not be that way. We can be prejudiced against someone because of their nationality. We can be prejudiced against someone because of their, uh, because of the number of children in their family. We can be prejudiced against people because of where they shop. We can be prejudiced against someone because of the kind of car they drive. The number of ways that we can choose to show favoritism is limitless. There are infinite ways that we can choose to make ourselves feel better than other people. Or ways that we can um, choose to make one group of people seem more important than another group of people. And God calls that sin. It is a sin to think that we are better than other people or to treat one group of people better than another group of people. It's sin. It's wrong. And James says, don't do this. And James says, don't do it because the Torah says, don't do it. So let's look at some of the teachings that James draws his, um, uh, his teaching from. Look at De- Deuteronomy 1, 17 says, Do not show partiality in judging. Here both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man, for judgment belongs to God. Leviticus nineteen fifteen. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great but judge your neighbor fairly. Proverbs 24, 23. These also are sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judging is not good. James grew up with the living word. He grew up with Jesus. Studying the written word. He studied these things right here. And he heard firsthand what Jesus taught about this. Let's look at what Jesus taught about judging. Matthew 7, verse 1. Jesus said, stop judging so that you may not be judged. Matthew 7, verse 12. So in all things, do to others what you would want them to do to you. The golden rule right there, y'all. For this is the Torah and the prophets. Y'all, prejudice comes from not understanding people. It's fear. We are afraid of other people because they're different from us. And we don't understand it. We don't understand why they would want to be like that. It doesn't make sense to us. Maybe you don't understand why someone would want tattoos or piercings. It doesn't make sense to you. That doesn't give you the right to think any less of them. Did you know that our pastor used to have hair almost to his waist? 
It's true. His hair was longer than Valerie's at one point. We might have a picture of that. (laughs) Don't judge people based on the way that they look. Or how about this? Just don't judge people. It is a sin to think that you are superior to another human being, but we do it all the time. And we think nothing of it. We see people that look different than we do because um, for whatever reason, they may be, have a different skin color. They may be, live in a different part of town or a different country, or maybe they have a different political view than you do. Or um, maybe they're just old. Maybe they're sick. And for whatever reason, there's something in us that Thinks we're better. I asked Bill to come up with some photos for me of people that look different than me. And this is what he came up with. Here's some people that look different than I do. And I might just think I'm better than they are just because they're different. One of the things I love about our church is that a lot of those people there that look different from me that you saw, even them, (laughs) you can see people on that slideshow that do look different than I do, but come to church here. (laughs) I love that about Desperation Church. Let's look back at James chapter 2 verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? In this passage, James champions those who are on the margins, those who might be the way many of us feel. The world celebrates those who are rich in material terms, but James is reminding us that God celebrates and has chosen those who are rich in faith, even if they are poor in the world. James challenges us not to dishonor somebody because they are without worldly means, but instead to recognize them as God's children, as our brothers and sisters. John and I went on a train trip just a couple of days ago, the past three days, and I had never traveled very far on a train. I mostly travel by car or in in an airliner, and um, that opened my eyes to a different culture. Uh, We did it to do something different, and um, it was fun, but we were surrounded by people. 
people that looked different than I did, people that sounded different than I did, and people that smelled different than I did. And you're stuck when you're on a train. They ain't ain't no getting off until they stop the train. And um, the way there was a lot of fun because it was daytime, and you don't have to sit in your little... There's the seats that they assign you to that are kind of like being on a bus, and you have a little bit more leg room than in an airplane. And it was okay, but you could get up after the train started going. You could go to the next car. It was called the lounge car, car, and and they had these big windows that you could uh, sit in like a booth in a restaurant, and you could um, uh, watch the countryside go by. And that was kind of cool. And there was more air flowing, and you were not as close to the people around you. And um, I liked that better. But on the way back, um, it was nighttime. We didn't get home until 10.30 at night. And so when we got on the train, the sun had already gone down. It was dark. Um, you, there wasn't anything to look at. And I, I honestly, I, I think I was hungry. And we got on after the dining car had already, all the reservations had been made. And so I, I think I was hangry. I think I um, uh, was grumpy and tired and our trip was over. And... Um, when it was time to get off of the train, this train had like two levels and um, we were upstairs and when it was time to get off, I had my, you know, my stuff and I was, you have to go down this little stairway that you go around and it's teeny, it's like really skinny and there is no going, if there's somebody coming up, you have to back up and let them or get them to back up. And so I started heading down the stairs and this man was already coming up the stairs and I was like, oh, well, um, and he did not smell good. And he didn't smell the same way as I did anyway. He <laughs> had not had a shower. And um, he didn't even look at me. He just said, get out of the way. And people don't talk to me like that. I mean, I just, did, I just don't generally hang out with people who talk to me like that. And I was just like, I just got out of the way. I just got out of the way. I mean, I'm not going to ask him to say it again. You know, and I'm not going to question him. But it made me think about this sermon. Not to judge. Not to judge. Just back up. Get out of the way. And then go down the steps happily. You know? Um, I don't know what's going on in his life. You know? What do I know about him? Nothing. Don't judge. Don't judge. Just don't. Just don't. Um, So James is echoing things that he's heard his brother say. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's keep going in James. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. What? For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So I read in some commentaries and there was this rabbi, Yachanan, who said, 
But if a man do the whole with the omission of one, he is guilty of the whole with the one. And this ancient rabbi taught, if a man performs all the commandments save one, he is guilty of all and each. To break one precept is to defy God who commanded the whole. So let me try to put this into language, language that makes sense to me. So if I'm going to try to make it to heaven based on keeping all of the rules, what James is saying here is that I have to keep all of them, not just one. So I can't say, well, I'm really pretty good at keeping that one rule about thou shalt not murder. I can do that. But that rule about not telling lies, well, I'm not always completely 100% honest all of the time. So what you're saying is if I can't be honest all of the time, then I'm just as bad as a murderer? What? Whoa. What James is saying is that in order to make it based on keeping the law, we would have to keep all of the law every single time, all of the time. Sin is sin, y'all. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. That's what James said. Sinful man cannot approach a holy God. Sin has to be atoned for. Romans tells us that sin has a cost. Romans says this. The wages of sin is death. But can you finish that verse? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wow. We sing a song that goes like this. Who, oh Lord, could save themselves? Their own soul could heal Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us. Let us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. You, O Lord, have made a way. The great divide... That's the divide, that's the gap, that's the chasm between us and God. The great divide, you heal. For when our hearts were far away from God, your love went further still. Jesus' love goes further still. Romans tells us that the the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. I wonder if you guys are like me and if you sometimes walk around thinking, there is no way, there is no way that you are acceptable. You think that God can really use you after what you did yesterday, after the way you blew it, 
Do you really think that God is going to actually use you to accomplish anything? I don't know if you guys ever have thoughts like that. But what I want you to know is that Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So when you have those thoughts, here's the thing, y'all. We do not have to think everything that comes into our brain. We can stop it right now and say, no, I'm not going to think that. Here's what I'm going to think. I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Christ being made a curse for me because it's written, cursed is anyone who hung on a tree. And he hung on a tree for me, Satan. You're a liar. A big fat liar, Brenda Pryor would say. You're a liar and the father of lies and I rebuke that. And the thoughts that I'm going to have are going to be thoughts that come straight out of the word of God. And the word of God says, I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. The word of God says, I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. The word of God says, see how great a love the father has bestowed on me that I should be called the children of God. And such we are. So we do not have to think every thought that comes into our mind. In fact, scripture tells us that we should uh, take every thought captive to Jesus and ask him, is that a good thought? Should I think that thought? Or should I reject that thought and bring it to the word and ask you to transform it by the washing of the water of the word? That's why I'm all the time saying, get up and have a quiet time. Get up and get into the word of God. Get into the word. Get into the word. Because I want you to know the scripture so that you can say um, what the truth is. So that you can replace those lies with the truth of God's word. So that you can know for sure that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf. My behalf so that I could, so that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Because God made Jesus to be sin so that I could be the righteousness of God in Christ. That trade was already made, see. Jesus paid the price. You alone can rescue I've been rescued. I've been redeemed. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to see, though. James doesn't let us off the hook because Jesus has paid the price. See, James was known as James the Just. They knew him as James the Just because he was going to keep the law. He was going to do what was right as best he could. He was also known as Camel Knees because he had... He had calluses on his knees from praying so much. He was a righteous man. He pursued right living. And he wants us to walk the walk too. Just like Jesus wants us to walk the walk. I I read this statement recently and I love it. Jesus broke the curse of sin so that we might break the cycle of sin. Jesus broke the curse of sin so that we might break the cycle of sin. So James called the followers to a higher standard because he heard his brother call them to a higher standard. Listen to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to, ju- to judgment. You've heard it said not, not to murder, but I say to you, don't even get angry. You've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in, her, in, her, in his heart. You've heard it said don't commit adultery. I say don't even have lust. 
Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. Anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him to the left. If anybody sues you and takes your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Jesus said, go the extra mile. You've heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. What? Jesus, are you kidding me? That's impossible. Jesus, you are asking things that are too hard. I'm a human being. This is what Jesus knew. This is what Jesus knew. Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew these things were not possible for us to do in our own strength. He knew he was going to provide a way for us to be reconciled to God. He knew he was asking us to love other people the way God loves us, with an unconditional love. And he knew in our own strength we couldn't do it. But he knew that he was going to provide the perfect law of liberty. He was going to take into account our brokenness and our frailty and our sin. And he was going to break the curse of the law and provide a way, a new way for believers to live. He knew that by his death, he would provide a way for believers to be declared righteous by faith in him. So let's jump back to his little brother and see how he concludes this passage in the second chapter of James. This is so awesome, y'all. James chapter 2, verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Again, he's echoing Jesus who said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And he said in Luke 6, 36, Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, I saved this line for the very last because this is the very best line. Are you ready? This is the key. James chapter 2, verse 13b. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy wins. Mercy gets to do the victory dance in the end zone. Mercy gets the gold medal. Mercy gets to stand on the pedestal and have the anthem played. Mercy triumphs. Mercy wins over judgment. Not judgment. Mercy is what wins. What Jesus accomplished on the cross was the action, the deed, the accomplishment that assures that mercy wins. Mercy wins. 
And because of his finished work, we can live a life of victory because of our faith and our belief and our trust in what he did on the cross of Calvary. So we don't have to jump through all the hoops. Now, do we try to jump through all the hoops? Absolutely. Do we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects? Yes. To bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of him? Yes. Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, we want to please the Lord in all of our ways. But mercy wins, y'all. Mercy wins. We strive to live righteously, but we don't have to hang our heads in shame when we fall short of these goals because our victory is based on our faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. Our faith is in him and not our own selves. He is the winner. He is the champion. He is my rescuer. And because of him, I'm redeemed. I'm the recipient of his great gift of mercy. Oh, what a savior. Oh, what a rescuer. I want to close by reading a story by a friend of mine. Uh, She wrote it based on scripture. Um, And it just, it, it just helps Put some flesh on this Bible story. The three men hurled me at the feet of a rabbi who must have been teaching because a crowd had gathered before him. I could not lift my eyes or look up at the crowd. I told myself not to shake, but the shivering continued as the sun beat upon me. Teacher, Benjamin said to Jesus, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. Oh, dear God, I will die soon, abandoning my precious son to this cruel world. And I walked willingly to Shechem's lair. I kissed him. I said, yes, I deserved this death. But that deserving did nothing to stop my trembling. A group of men surrounded me. I would not pick my head up to see the stones in their hands. Head down, I could see only their sandals through my tears. One of them yelled to the rabbi, Moses commands us to stone her. What do you say? I expected words from this man, but he stood mute. I dared to lift my eyes slightly, a hesitant moment, only to see this work-worn man stoop to earth and draw in the dust with his finger. What did he draw? Something about this man brought peace to the heartbeat that had lodged in my throat. How he stooped. How he did not give in to the demands of these leaders. Shouts from the crowd echoed through me. Stone her! Stone her! Stone her! I ducked my head and waited for the rocks to crush me. Benjamin nearly growled his words. Rabbi, we demand an answer. The once hunched Rabbi sat up straight, and it was then he looked at me. His eyes, oh, dear Lord, his eyes, they saw me. In that hiccup of glances, I somehow knew that he discerned my day, my story, my heart. He knew my entrapment and abduction. Would he shield? I looked at the three men, and as he did, the crowd who yelled, Stone her, quieted. He straightened himself and uttered these simple words. 
Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. A long pause followed. Never sinned? Shame flooded through me. I could not answer for those who wanted to throw stones or even for the Pharisees who had dragged me here, but I knew myself. I had sinned, great and small, in thought and deed. If this be true, and I knew it was, at least I could not cast a stone at myself. He made it very clear. Only a sinless person wielded the power of life and death. From where I lay crumpled, I dare not look up. With head down, I squinted through my tears. A sea of sandaled feet populated the horizon. They did not move, tethered to the earth. The men whose feet these were would soon throw heavy stones to crush the life out of me. I trembled, waiting for the first stone to hit my head. I heard the sound of stones falling to the ground, one by one. Thud, pause, thud, thud. I watched through tear-stained eyes as each stone created a dust whirl in the heat of the day. What happened? I coughed, then tasted copper on my tongue as if I had finally come to my senses, my blood. I stole a glance to my left and noticed a set of sandaled feet disappear, then another, then ten others one by one. I snuck a peek around me as the circle wanting vengeance widened, stones now marking the place where my accusers once stood. The rabbi stooped to earth again and drew in the sand. I dropped my head and then dared to look up again. I saw only one more set of sandals to my right. Shortly, those sandals also disappeared. Only two of us stood in what was once my circle of accusers, the soft-spoken rabbi who still scribbled in the dust, and me, a woman caught in the act of adultery. The wind stilled. The rocks stood like sentries around us, tokens of what could have meant my violent death. Would I be Goliath as David slung a well-aimed rock at my forehead? Would this rabbi gather stones from the dust and take my life? The rabbi sat up again and asked, Where are your accusers? Did not even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, I said, for this man was no mere man. He took the blue and white fabric at my feet and covered me. As he did, the blood in my mouth evaporated in an instant. He touched my cheek where Eliezer had struck. Shechem gripped and Benjamin hit. The pain ceased. He gently touched my shoulders, and as he did, I sensed that God had indeed answered every prayer I'd ever prayed. He had heard my cries of desperation and worry and fear. He was utterly mindful of my lot in life, and he cared deeply. In that circle of two, the the entire world fell away. My accusers melted into the Judean sun. My fears slept from me in a beautiful redemption. The rabbi said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I left the temple area a different woman, a loved woman like Bathsheba, a seen woman like Hagar, a queen like Esther. I had been exposed and accused Yet I had escaped the wrath of both man and God. That kind of grace changed me utterly. That was the day Jesus of Nazareth saw me and loved me. That, my friends, is the kind of mercy and grace that is available to each of us through Jesus Christ. 
That is the kind of grace that's available to us. Each of us caught guilty in the act of sin and worthy of death. And yet Jesus says to us today, you are not condemned. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. That's what he says to us. So we're going to close now with prayer and in celebration that we have been rescued by a great redeemer. And if there's anybody here that would like to uh, have prayer, if there's anybody here that doesn't know that rescuer, that has not accepted Jesus as your redeemer, and that great chasm hasn't been gapped by the cross of Calvary, and you want to pray that prayer today, Come up here and we will pray with you. And if there's anybody who has any other kind of need that you want um, prayer for, please don't leave without getting that prayer today. But will you all stand with me and let's pray before we go today. Jesus, we are so thankful that mercy triumphs over judgment. That mercy wins And that we stand forgiven because of your finished work on the cross. We receive. We accept. We say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness and your grace. We celebrate you this day, Jesus, as a great rescuer, the rescuer of our souls. Father, I pray a blessing on these people ask you to minister to the deepest needs of their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.